What's going on, Renaissance family? My name is Jordan. I'm one of the pastors here. So grateful that y'all tuned in with us for our online service. Before we get into today's message, I want to pray for us. Heavenly Father, uh, we come to you now with an assortment of things in our minds and in our hearts. I pray that you would uh, allow us to have focus and clarity so that we can hear from you, that your word would just jump out right on us and land on our hearts. Bless us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So one of the most misunderstood things about law school is that people think that it teaches you how to be a lawyer. They don't. They teach you a lot about law, and shout out to North Carolina Central School of Law, all my legal eagles. They give you enough law and enough uh, legal uh, analysis skills on how to pass a bar exam, and they give you a lot, but they don't teach you how to be a lawyer. In order to be a good lawyer, you need to know how to mediate, how to stand between your clients and the judge. I never forget one of my first times in court, and man, I was terribly nervous for a number of reasons. One, I was filling in for my mother, and my mother had been practicing law for decades, and she had had some high-profile case, cases. She is a, a brilliant attorney and a judge, and I knew that I had some pretty big shoes to fill. But secondly, like I really had no idea what I was doing. I didn't even know what side of the, the courtroom to stand on. And listen, y'all know me, I'm a, I'm a pretty confident guy, but that day I was so nervous and not nervous in terms of like, will I say the wrong thing for me, for my sake, but I was nervous because I knew my client's life was in my hands and they were paying their hard earned money to have me represent them. And my words were their words and my performance that day was gonna be their performance. I was their representative. Now, in a, in a lot of ways, this concept of a representative is something that's baked all throughout scripture, a mediator, an advocate. You know, one of the, the biggest honors that anybody could ever pay me when I was an attorney was when I would have a client that would come to my office and they would get there and they would be so anxious and so nervous and they'd have so many flustered thoughts and words and we would sit down and I'd explain their case and my, my plan of attack, and I would calm them down. And the biggest honor they could ever give me was when they would just exhale and, and breathe. They knew that no longer did they have to run quarterback and take the case by themselves. They were giving their case over to me, and they were putting it in the hands of someone who was finally competent. Now, I think that in some ways, Jesus, when he tells people in Matthew 11, for example, when he says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and uh, learn from me because I am lonely and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When I read that scripture in Matthew 11, I imagine Jesus in a suit and he's hearing our complaints. He sees our fears. He hears us rehearsing our insufficiencies and Jesus saying, yo, don't, don't worry, I got it. Jesus says this because he is our advocate. He is our mediator. Now, all throughout the New Testament, authors call Jesus this very uh, word that Jesus is our advocate and our mediator. In 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6, it says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, a testimony 
at the proper time. Now, this scripture is dope. I could teach a 35-minute sermon just on that alone, but I don't want to get too far down the road right now, but I want to uh, highlight a couple of things in that scripture that it says that we really can't miss. One, Paul is saying that there is, there's one God, and he's stressing Jesus' humanity here, not because he's denying Jesus' deity. Like all throughout the scripture, Jesus, uh, Paul talks about Jesus being God who in the flesh who has come down to be God with us. And Philippians 2, for example, is one scripture. But Paul here is stressing Jesus' humanity to talk about today's passage that we're going to get to and today's concept, to stress this fact that Jesus is not just any old mediator, but he is, he is an effective me mediator. And he shares in our humanity so that he can be a really good mediator. Now, a good mediator is a go-to, uh, a person who could represent uh, the interests of both parties. And he's saying that Jesus Christ is a type of mediator that knows you and understands you. There's one scripture later in the New Testament where it says that Jesus was tempted in every way just like we are, and yet he remained without sin. So Paul is stressing Jesus' humanity here to say he's a type of advocate. He is a type of mediator that gets you. Like, you don't have to do all this explaining. Like, he, he understands. Secondly, he's saying that Jesus is a kind of mediator that gives himself in our place. Now, it was always very easy for my clients to notice that they were in over their heads. If they themselves had not gone to law school, whenever a legal issue would arise, whenever they would find themselves in a courtroom, they knew pretty quickly that they were in over their heads. But a lot of times for us, it's not always easy for us to think that, you know what, you know what I really need? I need an advocate. I need a mediator. I need someone to represent me uh, to God. And I think that's for a number of reasons. The biggest one is I think none of us want to be dependent on anybody. I once heard a pastor say that the goal of life is to go from dependence to independence back to dependence on God. And that for so many of us is our struggle. But we are dependent people. And this is why Jesus calls us sheep. Uh, and scriptures all throughout the New Testament and Old Testament refer to us as sheep and for God and refer to God as our shepherd. Now, here's the thing about sheep and shepherds. You will never hear a scripture or anybody in any literature refer to someone as a sheep trainer or as um, a sheep coach, right? Trainers are meant to get you to a place so you can eventually be independent. But shepherds were meant to stay in the life of the church, uh, stay in the life of their sheep forever. And the church is full of sheep. Now, the reason this is so key and so vital is if we fail to realize our dependence, if we fail to embrace that and acknowledge it, we're gonna miss out on who Jesus is and what he offers us in our lives. Now, a lot of times we equate dependence with stupidity. And one of my boys, Rich Perez, uh, at CCF Uptown in the Heights, he preached a sermon this past weekend, and it really hit me, uh, some things that he said about sheep. And he was saying, you know, sheep are not, they're not stupid. And in some ways, I've even preached messages where I said that sheep were stupid. He says, sheep are not stupid, they're, they're dependent. As a matter of fact, there's this one neuroscientist in Britain, and he said, sheep are actually pretty smart animals and that they can recognize each other visually from facial cues using specialized brain circuitry similar to that of humans. They're not dumb, their intelligence is rooted in their dependence. And I think for us, we, we bristle at the notion of needing something beyond ourselves because we don't like to think that we are dependent, but we are. Jesus calls us sheep, 
He calls himself our shepherd. Now, here's a couple of diagnostic tools for you to identify whether or not you are too dependent, independent, whether or not you are functioning as your own representative. And they said in, in law, anyone who represents themselves has a fool for a client. Here's a couple of ways that you know you're trying to be your own mediator. Um, number one, and um, this, is, this happens a lot when we think about our prayer life. Uh, it's when your prayer life is full of apologies and has very little gratitude. Now, when you pray, what are you doing in your prayers? Prayer is a lifeblood of everyone's relationship with God. And for a lot of us, prayer does not feel like a life-giving um, thing that we do at all. It actually just feels like a drain and a chore. And why is that? Think about this for a second. A lot of times when people are praying, all they're doing basically is presenting their own defense. And I felt this in my own life. Um, I'm presenting my own case to God. And um, if it is all up to you to please God, you can think of a hundred reasons why you're not doing a good job, which is why so many of us struggle in our prayer lives. We start our prayers and we sometimes end our prayers with all of the things that we've done wrong and promises to do it right. We do that because we're not trusting in Christ as our mediator. Another sign is you're, you're afraid of letting people know the real you. People know you, but they don't know the, the real you. You keep your cards very close to your chest and you don't want the know, you don't want people to know you because um, you're afraid of not presenting the right case to other people. And you want to show the best version of yourself because deep down inside, in your brain, you're always acting as your own representative. You're always presenting a case, not just to God, but also to other people. And the third one is a big one. And I felt this certainly in my life. Um, where you interpret bad circumstances or challenges or hardships as God's displeasure with you, as if God is punishing you for something that you did wrong. So if you didn't get the job that you wanted, if you didn't get the apartment, the relationship, uh, or if you have some real serious prayers that go unanswered, the temptation is to interpret those through the lens that this is a result of God's displeasure with you because you didn't do a good enough job. Deep down inside, you're thinking this because you are acting as your own representative. Now, each and every one of those um, is just anxiety-inducing and a pretty miserable way to live life. And I felt each and every one of those uh, myself. But here's the good news. In Christ, we have an advocate that stands, uh, stands in and speaks for us. And his performance is our performance. Now, this is so big and so foundational to our spiritual lives because in so many ways, unless you understand this concept, which we're going to see today in scriptures, man, you're just going to have a really miserable prayer life and you're never going to be able to relax. So Jesus gives us this invitation to come to him and he'll give us rest. So y'all, I'm really hyped about this book of Exodus because in the book of Exodus, it shows us this character named Moses. And Moses was the mediator or the advocate for God's people in between God's people and God and also on behalf of uh, the children of Israel to Pharaoh when he was going after their redemption. Now, this is really, really key because I mentioned earlier that as we look at this book of Exodus, it's not just going to show us a bunch of historical facts. It's actually going to let us learn a lot more about Jesus. Now, there's a really fascinating piece of scripture that I want to read for us in Exodus 3, and it's going to show us a little bit about 
what it looks like to have a mediator on our behalf. And here's what we see in Exodus 3. It says, Meanwhile, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within a bush. As Moses, as Moses looked, he saw the bush that was on fire, but was not consumed. So Moses thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't the bush burning up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, he answered. Do not come any closer, he said. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he continued, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt and have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings and I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and bring them from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The territory of the Canaanites, Hethites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, and Harlemites. So because the Israelites cry for help has come to me, I have also seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now, Moses here in Exodus is a mediator. And the good news for us is that Jesus is the true and better version of Moses for us. He is our mediator. He is the one that leads us out of sin, a bondage of anything that has us bound. And he's the one that leads us to. He doesn't leave us left to our own devices. We are not left alone. We have a mediator. Now, in a lot of ways, I get it, right? Preachers always try to come up with clever ways to say new things and to make different connections and say, yo, watch this, watch this, right? And I get it. You know, I'm a preacher. I want to say something that sounds cool. But this is actually a fundamental approach to how we approach the Bible. Uh, some people call it a Christocentric reading of Scripture, meaning that all of the Bible, they're not just a different set of stories that you can just pluck out one here and there to apply it to your life, but rather they're one continuous story. So much so that Jesus says this, and this is wild. This is the craziest flex that anybody uh, has ever said. Jesus says this in John, I'm sorry, Luke 24. It says, beginning with Moses, right? Moses, Exodus, and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all of the scriptures, right? So beginning with Moses, and the book of Exodus is the second book in the book of Moses. You have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and uh, beginning with Moses and going through all of the Old Testament, Jesus is showing us all of the things in Scripture about him. So if you were to have a one-on-one -on -one Bible study with Jesus, he would sit you down and he would show you all of these stories in Scripture, which actually point to him. Now, here's why this is so important. In a lot of ways, the Old Testament is like an, like an acorn. So an acorn has everything inside of it that a tree does but it's not yet revealed. It's not yet, um, it, it hasn't yet been revealed. It hasn't been planted and gone through the process to actually become that tree, but the DNA is the same. In a lot of ways, the Old Testament is, is like that for us as well. It has the seed of all that we need in our life. And even further than that, 
the New Testament gives us a lot of principles, right? So it gives us a principle like the one we read in 1 Timothy 2 and 5, saying Jesus is our mediator. And a lot of us, we learn through principles. But the Old Testament gives us stories of how a mediator acted and behaved so that those principles can come to life. Now, one of the reasons this is so dope is because God in his wisdom has given us two sides of the brain. Now, I got D's in science, so I don't know which one is which, but one of them is logic and one of them is the imagination. And we need both to really get a concept. It's one thing to teach about gravity and go on a chalkboard and explain the formula for it. It's another thing to drop a penny in front of you, right? So one side is logic, one side is a principle, and the other side is an imagination. And in so many ways, the New Testament gives us these principles, but the Old Testament feeds our imagination and it gives us stories of how these things actually played out. So this Old Testament scripture gives us a picture of what a mediator is. So there's a couple of things I want to point out uh, today about what kind of mediation Jesus does in our life. And I think it's helpful for us in our prayer life and in all of our spiritual lives in a number of ways. Number one, it, t- it tells us that we have someone else that is giving us guidance, right? So in Exodus 2, uh, God gives Moses this order. He says, therefore, go, I am sending you to Pharaoh so that you may what? Lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So the first thing a mediator does is a mediator gives us guidance. Now, this is why this is so important. One of the most tragic losses of the American church is a almost complete neglect of the Holy Spirit. So many of us believe that you can give God your life, whatever that statement means, and then God somehow is just standing afar off with a checklist of things for you to do, and it's up to you to do it on your own. And Jesus, when he's talking to his disciples in John 14, he, he gives them this promise. He says, listen, I'm going away, but I am not going to leave you as orphans. What is that concept talking about? Orphans were people left alone without guidance, without someone to nurture and care for them. So this promise that God gives us and shows us through through Moses in the the story of Exodus, and if you read the story of Exodus, and it has some amazing things in it, you see all this time where Moses himself, day by day, is with the people, and he is guiding the people forward. And the promise that Jesus gives us is that he will not leave us as orphans, but he himself will give us the Holy Spirit who will guide us. In Romans 8 and 11, I love this scripture, and every single time I read it, I get more and more out of it, but Romans 8 and 11 is a scripture that promises us the Holy Spirit. And it says, the same power, think about this, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, that level of power lives inside of you you, and will give life to your mortal bodies. When we think about Jesus being our mediator, it's, it's this promise that Jesus has not left us alone, but that he is presently with us through the Holy Spirit for everyone who has placed their faith in Christ and that he is giving us guidance. So when you wake up in the morning and you are wondering, not just what your plan should be for the day, but on a, on a real level, what you should do with your life, uh, how you should proceed, uh, what does it look like for God, um, for you to, to live a life that honors him um, in all of the major decisions of your life, in all of these different ways, we have someone who's going to give us guidance. Now, in some ways, that would be enough if that's all Jesus offered, if it were guidance. But having a mediator is even better than that. To have a mediator is not just guidance, but it's also someone who steps in on our behalf. In Exodus 32, um, you know, the people had been walking, they had been freed from Egypt, and Egypt, again, was this big uh, 
um, empire that had them in bondage. And God, through a miraculous series of events, freed them from them. And we're going to be walking through those miracles in a little bit. Um, and now the people find themselves in the wilderness on their way to their promised land. And Moses is frustrated with them, right? They're complaining. They're wishing they can go back. Um, there's just a, a lot of stuff that is now on Moses. And here's what Moses, here's what it says. The next day, Moses said to the people, you have committed a terrible sin, but I will go back up to the mountain and the mountain represented God's presence. And perhaps I will be able to obtain forgiveness for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, oh, what a terrible sin these people have committed. They have made gods of gold for themselves. But now, if you will only forgive their sin, but if not, erase my name from the record you have written. And this is, this is phenomenal. What Moses is saying, God, please forgive them for their sins. And I want you to forgive them so badly that if you have to remove my name from the, the records you have written, if you have to take me out to forgive them, then you go ahead and do that. What we see here in the story of Exodus is someone that steps in on behalf of people who are not grateful, who are making idols, who are complaining, who do not deserve any good thing from God or from anyone, and their mediator steps in on their behalf and says, God, would you please forgive them? And I'm willing to forsake myself for you to step in and forgive them. Now, what we see in the life of Jesus is one who stepped in on our behalf. There's a couple of scriptures I want to I point out. Hebrews 7.25 says this, Therefore, he, Jesus, is able to save completely those who come to God through him, since he always lives to intercede for them. Hebrews 9 and 24, it says, For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with hands, only a model of the true one, but enter heaven itself so that he might now appear in the presence of God for us. Romans 8 and 34 says this, who is the one that condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, even more has been raised. He is also at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Now, this word in the Greek tense for intercedes is a present active uh, word. It's like me saying, I am pastoring this church. It is an ongoing thing that is promised and told to us. It's not something that happened in the past or might happen again in the future. It's saying that right now, the Lord of heaven, Jesus Christ is in heaven and he's praying, he's interceding on your behalf for your good. So you don't need to start your prayers and spend your entire time praying, beating yourself up. There's already one who is interceding on your behalf. Now, here's an even better thing about this. Whenever I was um, a, uh, a newer Christian, I would think to myself, you know what? That's great. Jesus is interceding on my behalf. That's a beautiful picture to think about. But like, how long can he keep this up? Right? I used to always think about it like Jesus was in heaven with his case docket. And it was like, all right, Rice, he's up again. And like, you know, the file cabinet would open. He'd pull up my folder, open it up like, oh, he's a pastor and he's, he's still doing that. Okay. All right. All right, God, you know, in the case of Rice, uh, you know, give him another chance, please. You know, uh, he's trying this time. He did the dishes last night. Uh, you know, judge, please, would you give him another chance? That's the way I used to talk to judges, begging for, for mercy and that respect. Jesus does not intercede for us in that way. What Jesus does is not beg and plead for mercy. Jesus goes to the judge, God, our father, with the satisfaction of judgment. 
Now, there were some cases that I would have in law where your client would get caught up in something that was already paid for, and I didn't need to come with an argument. I didn't need to come with anything other than the satisfaction of judgment that this offense has already been paid for. What do we see in the life of Jesus? Jesus goes with two exhibits, exhibit A and exhibit B, the, the nail-pierced hands from the cross. And he says, Lord, Father, it's already been paid. So when scripture says that he intercedes for us, he's not going uh, saying, God, give him another chance, give her another chance. He's saying, God, I have already paid for his sins. I've already paid for her sins. Therefore, it is blotted out, which is why we can read in scripture where it says things like in Psalm, where it says, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our sins from us. So we have an, a mediator who not just gives us guidance, but he intercedes for us. And in Hebrews 7, 27, his mediation and his intercession on our behalf says this, and this is so, so great about Jesus giving us this satisfaction of, of, of judgment. It says, Jesus does not need to offer sacrifices every day as high priests do for their own sins, then for the sins of the people. He did this once and for all time when he offered himself. Now, this scripture in Hebrews 7 is saying something incredible. It's saying that Jesus, our mediator, he's not begging at the foot of the judge for mercy, but rather when Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane and he was sweating blood, he was going through the terms of settlement. And as he carried the cross up the hill being mocked and beaten, he did this once and for all time when he offered up himself. And when he was on the cross and he said these words, it is finished and submitted his final breaths as evidence to the court, the father thereby canceled and satisfied and discharged you and I forevermore. It is finished. Jesus is the only one suitable and capable of being our mediator because he is the only ones that has the satisfaction of judgment in his two hands, the two nail pierced hands that went to the cross for our behalf. So more than anything this week, what I want you to do is to rest in Jesus. I think the sign of maturity is a non-anxious presence, a non-anxious presence around people, a non-anxious presence around God for sure, and for us to rest. There's a scripture in Colossians 3 and 3 that I would love for you to commit to memory this week, and it says this. It says, for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Why is that? Because he is our mediator. His words speak for you. His performance is your performance. In the same way in any courtroom throughout America, the lawyer represents their client and they, the client is hidden behind their attorney. You and I are hidden behind our mediator. So this week, I don't want you clinging to your own performance, but rather clinging to the performance of Christ. And I think that will show up most evidently in our prayer lives, not just in what we pray, but the vibrancy and the passion that we are praying, not merely seeking for forgiveness and asking God for forgiveness is a good thing, but rather resting and trusting in the one that was sent, as it says in John 6. So let me pray for us now. Heavenly Father, you promise us that you would never leave us alone that you would give us guidance and that you have already stepped in on our behalf. So Lord, I pray that we would accept what you have done for us as sufficient and we would cling to you. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.